0: Welcome, I'm Jeff Carles, Executive Director at the Institute on Religious Life, and this is the Institute's podcast series called Ever Ancient, Ever New. Today we will be celebrating our 1991 Institute on Religious Life Pro Fidelitate at their Tutte award recipient, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa is considered to be one of the greatest saints of the 20th century. She founded the Missionaries of Charity, which grew to have over 4,500 nuns across 133 countries. The congregation manages homes for people who are dying of HIV, AIDS, leprosy, and tuberculosis. The congregation also runs soup kitchens, dispensaries, mobile clinics, children's and family counseling programs, as well as orphanages and schools. Members take vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience and also profess a fourth vow, to give wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. Mother Teresa was there with us at the creation of the Institute on Religious Life and would attend our national meeting for many years. She not only helped those suffering around the world, but she also helped her fellow communities and religious during such a turbulent time for religious life in the church. We were so honored to have Mother Teresa as our 1991 award recipient Today, we will be listening to a talk she gave at our 1976 meeting titled, The Meaning of a Sister's Vocation Today. Father John Hardin, founder of the IRL, was actually the one who introduced her in this talk. So you get a bonus little talk today, being able to listen to him as well. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all together, dear Jesus, Help me to spread thy fragrance everywhere I go. Blood my soul with thy spirit and life. Penetrate and possess my whole being so utterly that all my life may be only a radiance of thine. Shine through me and be so in me that every soul I come in contact with may feel thy presence in my soul. Let them look up and see no longer me, but only Jesus. Stay with me. And then I shall begin to shine as Thou shinest, so to shine as to be a light to others. The light, O Jesus, will be all from Thee. None of it will be mine. It will be Thou shining on others through Me. Let me thus praise Thee in the way Thou dost love best, by shining on those around me. Let me preach Thee without preaching, not by words, but by my example, by the catching force of the sympathetic influence of what I do, the evident fullness of the love my heart bears to Thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. First of all, sincere welcome from the daughters of St. Mary of Providence to this periodic regional meeting of major superiors that we've been having for the last several years. The theme of today's meeting is the cooperative promotion of vocations to the religious life. As most of you know, we have been having periodic meetings of major superiors here in Chicago at St. Mary of Providence. These meetings, and specifically for ourselves, have been strongly encouraged by the Sacred Congregation for Religious, believing as Rome does that these regional meetings of major superiors and those who either represent them or accompany them can do most to both sustain and develop sound religious life in America. The subject of vocations has been the theme of previous meetings here of major superiors. It was felt, as we all recognize, that unless vocations keep coming to our communities, the work that we believe God has called us to, not only as individuals, But as communities, will hardly, I don't say prosper, but even survive. However, today's meeting, with God's grace, we hope will be historic, because the purpose of today's meeting is not merely to discuss the subject of vocations or even how individual communities might better promote them, That is indeed one of the purposes of today's meeting. The real purpose is, hopefully, and always only, with God's grace, that your communities might begin to cooperate in some gradually more organized way to promote vocations, not only to your own respective and individual communities, but also for other communities whether he represented or anywhere in the country that, and we should add, deserve vocations. Consequently, we might say that there are three parts to today's program. Part one is the lectures, given one in the morning, one in the afternoon. This morning is by Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who I wish to say, I trust she agrees with me, practically invited herself to speak here today. She has turned down many invitations. She wants to make sure that she will share with you her own deep conviction that there are thousands of potential vocations to a community like yours in the United States. The hope is that there will be a maximum input from all of you, if possible, but at least as many of you as wish to and are able to contribute, all with a view to the third part of the program, which is decision. It is entirely up to you, All that anyone in the Church, including the Holy See, which I can assure you is very interested in today's meeting here, all the hierarchical Church can do is encourage you The encouragement is that you will decide the extent or detail of your decision will depend on, well, on the working of the Spirit and your own ideas here today. To decide on some kind of cooperative promotion of vocations, gone is the day when individual communities can hope even to survive as individual communities, much less thrive as they must if they are going to get the vocations. The extent of your decision-making will depend on the direction things take. I will do all I can as a catalyst to today's meeting. Before I introduce Mother Teresa, I would like to call your attention to a publication that perhaps most of you don't even know exists. It is called Christ to the World. It is published in Rome. Subscription is some $3 a year. It is an exchange of apostolic experiences from all over the world, both in what we call mission lands and in the home missions. Very sound, very up-to-date, and very Catholic. But what I would especially call your attention to is the last major speech that Archbishop Peronio gave before he became Prefect of the Sacred Congregation for Religious. The title of his speech is Do Catholic Schools Still Have a Meaning? I cannot tell you how heartened you will be to know that the highest authority in the Church under the Holy Father wants, because the Church wants, Catholic schools. Mother Teresa needs no introduction We all recognize that God in his own mysterious way is using her to help not only religious institutes, but the church and that throughout the world. I have been with Mother for some time in New York, where, as you know, she has just established the contemplative branch of her community, the Sisters of the Word of God. I can assure you, and she can add to the assurance, that starting a new community in America today, is not as foolhardy as it seems, provided you absolutely trust in the providence of God. Mother Teresa will address herself to the subject of the meaning of sisters' vocation today. Mother Teresa. I want
2: first to thank you for... uh... For praying for us, because I think sisters of the word, I think they are a fruit of much prayer and much suffering and much uh, penance. And uh, it has brought out the concern the Sacred Heart has for us religious, because I think that vocation, yours and mine, and priestly vocation, is really only that one thing of belonging to Jesus. Naturally, the priestly vocation is so great that we, we can't even think that a man with the power of God can turn bread into Jesus and can make a sinner into a holy person with the power of God. But we, too, who belong to Jesus, we, too, must have that conviction of that belonging. And that is our vocation. The work that has been entrusted to us, is only a means a very beautiful means, a living means. It's not just a sentimental feeling or excitement or just I want to do something. And especially today, when that's become like a fashion to work for the poor, I think it is not that. It's only a beautiful means given to us by God to put our love for God in a living action because we want to put that, that love that we have for him to whom we belong. Now, Belonging means that we love him with undivided love and chastity to that freedom of poverty and in total surrender, in obedience. For If we really sincerely belong to him, then he must be able to use us. That's where obedience is necessary. Not only necessary, but we cannot live without it. And today, what is happening in the religious life I think we don't have that conviction. We are losing that conviction. And it is not that there are no, no choosing of Christ in the States or any part of the world. Jesus still keeps on choosing. As he's made it very clear, I have chosen you. And what I feel that has made a great change, so to say, that today we are losing that sacredness of that choosing that it is between God and the soul alone. There's so many things are being done beforehand that at the end, uh, we feel that we are being chosen by the people who want us for that special work. We are chosen to do that special work. And it loses, uh, I don't know if um, if I can say it properly, it has lost that sacredness of God calling, God choosing God wanting, like picking up that person for himself, that it is between him and the soul concern, And it's not like between the congregation who says, well, you are good for us and you are not good for us and you have got these qualities and you don't have these qualities. I think this has been the main obstacle, destruction of many vocations. A few days ago, I had... a I don't know what has happened to us, but we have within from June to up to the other day, we have received more than 16 girls who have joined the society between the Sisters of the World and us. And one letter came the other day, and in that letter, this girl, who she seems full, full of love for Jesus, and she wrote and she said, for a long time, and she comes of a very well-to-do family, For a long time, I know Jesus wants me, and he has chosen me for himself. And so I have gone round to different congregations to see where is that calling going to be fulfilled. And I have seen that what they have, I have. By joining them, I will have no chance to give up anything. I want to go to Jesus empty. I want to give up everything to be able to allow him to possess me fully. That this is a girl who, it's not just a feeling or something, but she has gone round and she has seen that what they have, I have. And by joining them, I do not give up anything. And this is the most beautiful part of our young people today. It is much more today than ever it was before. That one thing, to give all or nothing. Some of these sisters, when they came to the Sisters of the World, Because uh, I think we have to be Christ-like in poverty, who being rich became poor for love of us. And um, she didn't realize, this girl didn't realize that I was behind her. And then when she went upstairs to her, to the room that was given for her, and she saw what was there, and she just put, oh, what joy. And I think she was really happy that she could have that, that she could live like that. That this is what she really wanted. And she didn't know I was behind her. So it was not that uh, she said that just for, for my sake. It came from the depth of her heart. And this is something sisters, that we must not pass by. If we want really vocations, we want uh, souls to consecrate their lives to Jesus, we must help them to be empty. to be To really give. Because if they come to the congregation with what they have. And if they find in our congregation what they have, there's no need for them to come. Because it's a continuation. They can as well stay outside and live a beautiful life outside. No need to join. But the vocation is that complete surrender to God. You have chosen me, I belong to you. Like Our Lady, the greatest woman, so to say. There's no, nobody great. I remember when in Mexico last year when they asked me, what I thought about uh, women becoming priests, they all had written up here, uh, if, you don't, um, if you don't ordain, don't baptize. And so they all came in a group to me and said, oh, you, you and your sisters, this, this, that, it would be wonderful if you become priests and so on. And I said to them very calmly, I said, you know, nobody could have become a better priest than Our Lady. And yet she was only the handmaid of the Lord. And th- that struck them so much that they never came back again near me. <laughs> And I think this is what we have to be, only the handmaid of the Lord. The handmaid of the Lord, but Little Flower expressed it still more beautifully than I'm trying to say now. She said that I'll be the heart in the mother of church. We had a big gathering of women in the Women's Day in Calcutta. There were many people, there were many women all over the place. And um, I began my talk by saying what Little Flower said, that this is the place of a woman. To be the heart of the family, and for us religious, to be the heart in the church. And if we are there, we are all right. And will the vocation? Will the girls come? They want. And I don't think there is a country with more vocations than United States. But they want to give all or nothing. And you would be surprised what they expect. I've talked to many young people, not only this side, And I find that there is a tremendous hunger. Uh, in the heart of the young people, both men and women, to give really totally to surrender themselves to God. And they want, as most of them write uh, in their questionnaire, there's a question in our paper, in giving them, showing them what is the spirit of the society, what is expected from them and so on. And there is one question, why do you want to join the missionaries of charity? And the answer is, I want a life of poverty, prayer and sacrifice. And that will lead me to the service of the poor. I think we make a mistake in thinking that the girls are joining us because of the work. I don't think so. Because if it was only for the work, they will not be able to persevere. Because our work and our life is very difficult. And so I don't think it is really for the sake of doing the work, etc. Because we are not social workers. I take Jesus at his word. He has said, you did it to me. And if it is he that I am feeding, and if it is he that I am clothing, and if it is he to whom I give a home, then I must be a contemplative right in the heart of the world. Because what to me contemplation is to be fully 24 hours in his presence, to touch him, to serve him, to love him, and to do the things to him. And so, unless what he says is not true, but that cannot be. Jesus cannot deceive us. And he has said that very clearly, you did it to me. And I think this is where... Our girls who want to join your congregations, our congregations together. I think they want that, something deep, something where faith could be challenged, where faith could be put into a living action. And that living action is love. And love in action is always service. So it's a whole continuation of that giving and living. To be able to do this, I think, sisters, also what they, the girls expect from us, to be souls of prayer. They don't expect us to, be, to, to go all over the place like that and to go to... There's something nowadays that is happening, going to all the kind of parties and things like that, I don't know. And especially the dress, especially inside the convents. It's very difficult to live in the presence of God when you have a convent so beautifully furnished, when you have a suite of rooms which maybe uh, none of us would have if we were in the world. And this is the greatest obstacle for the young girls. They love maybe the work you are doing, but they can't accept uh, the life that you are living. I don't mean, uh, when I'm saying these things, I don't mean any special congregation. But they don't expect us to live that kind of life, to have all those things, and to the dresses and all that. They don't expect us. We are becoming... As the women in the in the jail of Miami, uh, the, His Grace wants the sisters to go there and open the house, and then he, he wants them to work in the jail, especially because we work in the jail in in uh, New York. And then uh, those girls were simply all kinds of girls were there. And then they said, "Oh, how beautiful is your habit nowadays?" Our sisters are dressing like women. They didn't they didn't blame. They did not criticize, but just they expressed what. Today, if we are not what we should be, that we are not giving that picture of that surrender to Christ, that of belonging to Christ. This we have to to give to our girls. Because as that girl said, what I have, they have. And today, more than ever, I think they want that community life, that sharing together. I think you know more than I know what is happening in the United States. All over the place, They are building up those communities of sharing together, of coming together, of working together. And uh, this is what attracts the girls also. Some of the girls, I've heard the girls say, um, that have joined our society. And they say, what is very beautiful, there is that vibrating life with joy and that together. We do everything together. We pray together, we eat together, we work together, and we fight together always sometimes. But this is, this is what makes life beautiful, together. I don't think I could really, could do what I'm doing if I was not that one with the sisters. I need them, I think, more than they need me. And that need, is it's love in action for our sisters. Because I think in, in a congregation, the sisters are the greatest gift that God could give to a congregation. And therefore, uh, we who are major superiors, who have the responsibility of our sisters... What a great, great gift to us. And I've said to our own sisters that if we superiors, if we don't love to be superiors, we will never be able to do our work properly. We must love to be superiors, we, as long as we are superiors. Tomorrow we are not so right. Today we must be happy to be a superior because that's a gift of God to us that we have so many young people whom we can teach, whom we can help to become holy. Always I write to my sisters, to the superiors, I say, help the sisters to become holy. That's very important. If we are not holy, then no meaning, no need for us to stay here. No need to go through all the sacrifices, to give up so many things if we are not holy, if we don't become holy. And holiness is not a luxury of the few. It is a very simple duty for you and for me. And this is, I think, more than ever, the longing of the young girls, To see holiness in reality, a living reality, not just in books, but to see it in you and me. That's why I think I like this prayer of um, Cardinal Newman. I think this is exactly what we religious should be that we shine the light, his light, that they look up and see only Jesus in us. But if we don't have Jesus in us, we can't give Jesus to others. And the sisters of today, more than ever, they are hungry for holiness. They are hungry. to to really give all to God without any reserve, without counting the cost. I don't know. I mean, we have now so many sisters, and they are all over the, the world. And in the congregation now, we have, I think, 35 different nationalities. In Rome itself, we have, out of the 38 novices, we have 16 nationalities. And I find exactly the same hunger for God, for holiness and hunger to give all to God so that God himself cannot fill what is full. And so they, they are that, that being his, to belong to him, to be used. And I have seen it all around the world, oh, this of the young people, that generosity of giving all. Now, in the present, we have more than 18 aspirants and postulants and novices from the United States between the two houses. And then in Rome, we have got six postulants, and they have five novices also. And in the, in Rome, we live actually in the in the barracks of Rome, called them Barakati. And uh, I think the poverty of that place, as a number of them uh, have told me, has strengthened my belonging to God, has strengthened. And of course, our, our lives are very much woven with the Eucharist, because Unless we see Christ in the appearance of bread, it will be nearly impossible to see him in the distressing disguise of the poor. Because you and I are not social workers. We are—we belong to him, whether you are teaching at the university level or you are cleaning a leper, I think it's a means for both things. It is Christ in the distressing disguise there. And if you are not there, nobody will bring Jesus there. And I think much of the drifting away of vocations in the United States has become from this education. In our schools, maybe our girls today and our young boys are not given the joy of purity, that sacredness of life, that sacredness of keeping oneself totally at the disposal of God. That has to come from the school, where you and I can do that. And this is what I feel that uh, I think you know much more than I do, your girls here. But what I have had this very close contact with our sisters who have joined lately, especially, and the ones that are in Rome, I know them very, very personally. They are like an open book. But I find that hunger the whole time. They want to give up everything. What I see now in the young sisters that are joining us and the sisters that had joined, say, 20 years ago, there's great difference, great difference. There's a deeper uh, determination to live only for Jesus, but we must give them. And also in the in our society, as I said, we have had that life of prayer, and we do still the penances because we need the corporal penances to be able to share in the passion of Christ, which is being relieved in our people. When you see the people suffer, uh, you, you can't help to, but to see uh, the crucifixion, to see the Calvary opened again. And that is why we need that to be able to share in the passion of Christ in our people. And I think all these things help us to draw and to be able, unless we have Jesus in our own life, we cannot give him to others. We must be able to look straight into the face of the people and say, yes, it is like that. It is Jesus in you and in me. And since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then there's only one Jesus. And we, we must help each other by praying very fervently for our sisters. And we must help each other, especially you who have this chance to come together. I think this is a very beautiful gift that the Church has given you. You can come together, pray together, exchange your gifts of God together. And the more you give to each other, uh, the greater will be your joy of receiving, because we are always enriching each other. I can tell you very sincerely, I have learned much more From our sisters, and I have learned from books. They are so rich in their humility, in their love, in their surrender. And uh, they mean. And I think if we begin with our life of prayer, if we really pray, and especially I found out from the time we have started our um, hour of adoration, there is such a growth, not only in numbers, but growth from within. There is a better love, better understanding between us. Because human nature is human nature everywhere. And there is a much better sharing with the people also. We love them much better now. From that time, we have this hour of adoration where we get together. And I can tell you something very strange which I myself was surprised. Before, we used to have one hour of adoration once a week. And we have, every week, we have one day of recollection because we go out every day. And then this, once a week, we stay in and we have a day of recollection every week. And so during that day, we used to have that one hour of adoration, and the priest comes for instruction and confession. We still keep to that weekly confession because we are a very young congregation, and so we have still under formation. They say that the houses of formation can have a regular confessor and every week if they want. So I wrote to all the bishops. I said we are still under formation. Kindly make sure that the priests keep on coming to us regularly and have a regular confessor and so on. And I think they they all gave a big smile because uh, after 25 years we are still saying that we are very young and under formation. And then this during that since there was last chapter, all these young sisters they are all young. They got together and they said we want to introduce some uh, living Christ into our society and we want to have one hour of adoration every day and I said to the sisters I tried to find out it's really from the bottom of their hearts and I said you know sisters we, uh, we take a special vow of giving wholehearted free service to the poor to the poorest of the poor I said we cannot take that hour from them because we owe that to them we must give it to them And then the sister said, no, uh, we'll arrange arrange things in such a way that we will not shorten our services to them. You would be surprised to know that we have not had to cut even 15 minutes from the work that we used to give to our poor people. It's that full amount plus this beautiful gift of God to us. And my advice to you, I am nobody to give advice, but I really sincerely because you and I, we have the same vocation, and so we are all one family. If you really want that your congregation grows and brings much fruit, begin with the Blessed Sacrament. Begin begin slowly, maybe once a week, but a real exposition of Blessed Sacrament, real adoration, and then pray. Our lady is there. She will always tell Jesus to take care of us. She being our mother, she will see that we have wonderful vocation, because we must not allow the work of God to die because of our own fault. That if he wants our congregation to die tomorrow, all right, that is his business. But uh, our part must be done that we give our sisters the joy of coming together with Jesus and all of us together to get at his feet and to to bring that new life, new joy. new. And our sisters, those sisters of the world, you will be very happy to know that they have Three hours of adoration in the house every day. And then they have this one hour of adoration at the parish church. And when we began first, nobody except ourselves. But now, every, there's regular people coming slowly, slowly. In that area, bronze, I think you all of you know what kind of area it is. And it has brought such a beautiful, uh, already, there's a smile in the parish priest's face also, which I never saw before. <laughs> And uh, it completely he is changed, we are changed, everybody seems to be quite different because of this wonderful presence of Christ, a living presence of Christ among us. I really pray every day for that, that every single congregation would receive this gift of God, this adoration. Even if you maybe, you have to cut down something. But I think in many houses, our sisters spend so much time in television and so on. I think we can easily, easily give that one hour of real adoration to Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. And you will see the flow, because that's the living waters. From there, all things will come. And uh, I think this is, uh, from the last time that I saw you, I have been to Guatemala, and I have brought the sisters there, and I have been to Mexico, and uh, we have started the house in Mexico. Uh, The sisters told me something, something very beautiful in Mexico. Very, very, very great poverty, very great poverty. And as we have it in our rule, when we go to a new place, we go round and round and round, walk the whole time, till we find what place is the worst place. And then we begin from there. And so when they went round like this, they saw much misery, much poverty, much suffering. But one strange thing happened, that nowhere did the people ask the sisters for food or for clothing or for medicine or anything. They just ask them, sisters, teach us the word of God. That was so surprising. It is true, we always go with the rosary in hand, we always pray the rosary in the street, that is our way. But it was so striking that it came from everybody, different parts of Mexico, from everybody came the same longing, teach us the word of God. So before I left Mexico, the president sent for us, for me, because, uh, as you know, he himself asked for the sisters, so he's taking a real fatherly care of them. He sent for me, and I said, you know, what your people asked, and they asked that the word of God, they asked the sisters, teach us the word of God, and as you know, between him and the church, not much, and he put down his head, and he looked up up again, and then he put down his head, and didn't say one word, and I think... This will lead him to think, if my people are asking for the word of God, how much more I must ask also. And that his people will be the beginning of lighting a light in his life. And so this is something very beautiful, sisters. And uh, I ask you to pray for us that we may not spoil God's work because definitely this is his work. And you and I must do it together. What you are doing, sisters, we cannot do. Do not give up your schools. Do not give up your class classroom. And So I know there are many sacrifices that you have to make for the sake of the, of the education, but it is worthwhile. So the same thing for us. We must not give up our slums and our lepers and the dying. Uh, there are many places that are asking for this. for that. Even I remember when we were asked to come to Rome, I said, the Holy Father sent word that he wanted the sisters to come to Rome. And I sent word back and I said, if there are no poor in Rome, I do not give the sisters Yeah, We must uh, be faithful to the gift of God. This is his gift to us, the poorest of the poor, the dying, the crippled, the unwanted, and so on. And for you, maybe hospitals, maybe schools, maybe universities, maybe college, whatever it be, but that is his greatest gift to you. And this is what the girls of today want to see, that fidelity to the what you and I have given to God. And I think we have, in United States, I think, more than anywhere else, there are many, many vocations. They are only looking up, and that you and I have to answer.
1: I'm sure I speak for all of you. And The most important thing, I think, that she wanted to communicate to you, and I trust she did, is encouragement, absolute confidence that God's grace is not wanting... Indeed, and she means it, there are more vocations in the United States than, perhaps, anywhere else, if for no other reason than because our country so desperately needs the witness of dedicated religious life. May I suggest that for about five minutes you jot down on a small sheet of paper any observations, questions, comments, or requests of Mother to uh, further clarify or comment on what you said. Then I will go around picking them up and Mother will answer them in sequence. Thank you. I feel you are saying that what is really needed today in religious communities is spiritual leadership. We need sisters leading other sisters in the way of true holiness. Without this, all our work is of no concern. We have gotten so tied up in the work ethic that... The spiritual guests crowded out. Please comment on this further.
2: I believe this is true, sisters, that we we are so overwhelmed with the work that we have to do, that we really have no time for Jesus then. And uh, this is what we must take proportion, so to say, that first we must become sisters of prayer, souls of prayer. and. Uh, the work will be done a thousand times much better. And I insist with the sisters not to take more than they are able to do. That means to, to do it well. And if there are, they must take, say if there are four sisters, they must take only the amount of work that four sisters can do in 10 hours every day, and not to take above that. Because our community life is very, very important to be eat together, to recreate together, as I feel that if we really recreate together properly, our um, Holy Communion in the morning will be always much better. Very important. And so I think if we can... I, sh- I don't say we should cut down the work, but when we are taking the work, that we do not take what is not what we should not do.
1: I agree with you. There is great joy in sharing Jesus with others. Would you say that one practical way might be a consciousness... Of each sister, to try to give Jesus in some small way each day through charity, sacrifice, prayer, a giving to each sister and to community, rather than what I can get for my satisfaction. Comment.
2: I think we as superiors have a wonderful uh, privilege of serving, and uh, Jesus is the best example. He he made the presence uh, the apostles realize the greatness of the gift that he was going to give to them, the Eucharist, and before he gave that, he uh, washed their feet, and I think if we as superiors uh, would wash our sisters' feet, I don't mean physically, but wash our sisters' feet with our humility, uh, with our concern for them, and um, small things. I, I don't know if this example comes in the picture, but the other day, we had a meeting of our co workers. Um, we have about 12,000 co workers in United States. We have co workers, the workers, and then we have the co workers, the suffering co workers, and then we have contemplatives. And now we have started the youth co workers. And um, the mother is the head of the co workers in one of the places. And then her daughter's child, the only child, was crushed in an accident. And this, uh, uh, this daughter of hers, has become so bitter against God that she's throwing all the bitterness on her mother now. And I said to her, and she doesn't want to see her, she doesn't want to to meet her, they are living in the same house. And then I said to her, you know, don't don't worry, you just do small things and throw those small things on the way. Uh, Like bring a flower and put her somewhere where she can see that flower. Or... um, Piece of cloth that she would like to make a frock of it, or something small. Things try to find out what she loved as a child, and bring those little things. Throw them out, even if she doesn't look at them. Doesn't matter. But you do those little things, and I think we as superiors, if we meet our sisters with a smile, if we show that concern for them, that when they come home tired and so on, that we are not busy. I I never close my door. I never leave. I never close my door. Uh, only a sister can close the door when she comes in. But I never—I always leave my door open so that any time any sister can come and if she chooses, she closes the door. But I never close the door. Just to be that open to them. And I think much has to do with that smiling at them, that concern, that appreciation. It doesn't matter how stupid or how small the work has been done by that sister, but that appreciation. I think that has much to do with holiness, the joy, because again and again, Jesus and apostles and everybody stresses that point of joy, that you share my joy with you. Now, the best is for us to, if we serve the sisters uh, really with joy, then they will know that we love them.
1: Many of our convent homes have become plush over the years. Where do we begin? How do we begin to reduce this extravagance? Could you give some practical suggestions?
2: This is a very difficult thing to, to do because, sisters, those buildings are there. You just can't break up the buildings. But I still feel very much depends on each one of us because it is not how much we have. We may have very little and I'd be totally uh, attached to that thing. It is. Our freedom from this thing for me poverty is freedom to be able to love Christ with undivided charity love with undivided love I need that freedom of poverty to be free not only from material things but also from spiritual things that we want to have the best the highest up-to-date book spiritual book but up to date everything I think this is a beginning of poverty if we are aware of of this attachment in us. And then if I begin, then in my community, the other sister also begins, and the other, and so the whole community becomes, and one community can lead the whole congregation into that total surrender. But it is not very difficult to break up those beautiful buildings. But what I think every congregation should try, there are so many things in the houses which is not necessary. I was traveling with a lay and she was simply shocked to see in some of the convents, what do you call that, carpet from full, what do you say, that? Yes, and all beautiful, big paintings and things like that in the house of the sisters. She, she didn't say, but she was just uh, silent. She couldn't understand. And I think this we can get rid of. There are so many families would be very happy to have the nice sofas and nice chairs and or get rid of them.
1: Do you approve of communities going out for picnics and other outings of this nature?
2: Yes, sisters, but together. <laughs> together. We make our sisters, we, we go about four times a year, the sisters. We go in a truck that Holy Father has given us, in Cal- but now we are so many in Calcutta that we can't do it four times a year. And then we go out somewhere in the jungle, in the forest, and you see all these young sisters climbing the trees and jumping, and then you are go alone together. I don't know if that, go alone together.
1: It is said that in the United States there are more vocations than any other place in the world. Why then the empty convent? Why only in India do the convent seem to be full? What should we do here?
2: Uh, It's not only in India, I think. Um, uh, Africa is overflowing with vocations, and many countries that have gone through much suffering, like Czechoslovakia, Poland, Yugoslavia, they say they have so many vocations now that they are choosing. That shows their inflow. But I still feel, as I have said, what that girl said, what I have, they have. And by joining them, I will not have a chance to give up anything. And this is, you have to get together, and to see what is there in your congregation, which the girls of today want to give up. And because that thing is there, they cannot come. There are many things that may be very small things, but I think we have to get rid of them. There was a, a very, very rich lady that came to, to me some, when I was in India. And um, she loves saris, very expensive saris. She buys them 2,000 rupees. That is very expensive. This is one is one, $1, and hers is always 200, 250. You can imagine the difference. And then she said, I want to practice poverty, but I have such great love for saris. Now, how will I practice poverty? And then I said to her, she's a Hindu, and I said to her, well, you, next time you go to buy a sari, you buy a little cheaper sari. Instead of buying it for 150, you buy it for 100, and for the 50, you buy saris for poor people. And she began, and now she's come down to a sari of 50 only, and the rest of the money, she buys saris for the poor. And this is a real sacrifice for her. But she understood poverty.
1: You have great trust in the providence of God. I feel that we as pragmatic Americans are losing that simple, complete trust in God. Since your work is among the poor... Do your sisters have to beg from door to door for food and clothing for the poor and for themselves?
2: We don't have really to go from door to door. But in our constitutions we have that. If necessary, we can do that. And say if in the street we meet a person that is hungry and we never carry money with us, and so we can ask somebody to buy food for us to give to the person and so on. But uh, up to today, sisters, we deal with thousands of people. Uh, Say, for example, we have 46,000 lepers that we look after, and food and medicine and clothing and everything is there. And um, up to today, we have never, never, never had to send away anybody because we didn't have. It's always one more bed, one more plate of rice, one more piece of cloth, always. I will just give you one uh, very, very uh, strange example. Uh, We cook for 7,000 people every day in Calcutta. The day we don't cook, they, they don't eat. Every day it's always been there. And on Thursday, sister came to me, she said, Mother, tomorrow we have to tell the people that there's nothing in the house. We have nothing to cook for Friday and Saturday. It was such a surprise for me, but I didn't say anything to sister. And then next morning nine o'clock in the morning, two trucks full of bread, arrangement between government and us is, because we are not a government-aided schools or children or anything. Our work is cut off like that, that whatever bread is left from the schools, they feed the children, and uh, they have to send it to us. Sometimes they bring only two loaves, sometimes a little more, but whatever is left over, they have to send. Now, nobody knows why the government... Closed all the schools that morning and all the bread, thousands of loaves were brought to us. So God closed the schools, but He didn't let the people go uh, without meal. For two days, the people ate bread and bread. They've never eaten in their life so much bread. Uh, that delicate thoughtfulness of God. Eh?
1: How much community prayers, common meals, and so on. Is it suitable or right to sacrifice to meet the demands of the apostolic work? Uh,
2: We are very strict with that uh, coming together for meals, for recreation, and so on. I calculated the other day actually how many hours, counting the adoration. We really have four full hours of prayer every day. And also at the same time, when we are in the streets, we pray the rosary. And we try to, to train our sisters to pray the work by doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. And so, but actually, praying together, we come for, in, within four hours. Begin at half past four in the morning, and throughout the day, we are together till 10 o'clock. And uh, I don't think, I mean, unforeseen something may happen, somebody's dying, a sister has to stay there a little longer. But uh, uh, on the whole, 99%, we should never let drop our spiritual duties. Unless something unforeseen happens, then love must come first in in the service of the needy. But as a rule, as a rule, we are all the time for all our community duties together.
1: This is a loaded question, I am afraid. But do not even traditional habits with veils that show so much hair seem worldly?
2: The um, Holy Father, I think, has explained that in, in the constitutions um, we have it also, that uh, as long as we are a sign of our consecration to God, even in us, in our novices, they keep their hair, because as you know in India, the hair is the most beautiful part of a woman, and so that's a real sacrifice for them to give up. Only at the profession, the sisters cut off, their, and there is a reason for that, because it would be very hot for us to have long hair and to have a sari like this. And also you need lots of time to keep it clean. And also you need lots of soap to wash it. And so uh, from the, the other time time and poverty, I think, we have done away with it. But in a country like America, maybe the hair is uh, as long as it is not a made up hair. You know, you don't sp- we don't spend time over it. It's all right. But sometimes that can become uh, to follow up the fashion and to spend hours before the looking glass. Thank God we don't have looking glasses in our house, so we don't have a chance to look at our face. But I think this is something that uh, we must not also cut ourselves what it was before. It is not today. Today the hair is no no sign of worldliness as such. Only if it becomes worldly, if we take the trouble to make ourselves attractive and so on and so on, uh, I think it's something that we have to be very, very careful. The aim why we do that is it to attract. And if it is to attract, then we should get rid of it because we belong to Jesus and we don't need the attraction of somebody to look at us.
1: Mother, if I can take the liberty, we have quite a few questions and the time is limited. What happens to these deeply dedicated girls who enter with a desire to give up all for Christ. After a few years, very few indeed. They are no longer the same. They want to take back what they gave up. Some leave, the, those who remain, are a greater hindrance than help in our religious congregations.
2: I think because we don't give them what they have, come, they are looking for. They get like dissolution. And uh, maybe because they see somebody doing something, then they begin to do the same thing. and. Uh, Infidelity creeps in very fast and once that is gone from us then they don't see the reason why they should stay in and it's better that they go than uh, remain handicapped sisters.
1: How do you determine the signs in a young woman that she has been chosen by God? After all it is something between her soul and God.
2: The way for us we need four things, health of mind and body, plenty of common sense, ability to learn, and cheerful disposition. For me, these are the four signs that I look for. And if she has this, it's this already first step. And then how she prays, how she deals with the people, what she is to each other, especially what she is in the community. To me, that's a great sign, whether she has a vocation for us or not. And same thing for you in your own communities, what is expected from you. If she shows those signs that she has. But I believe one thing, that the moment you see that she has not got the sign of your way of life, she should not be kept. She should be told to go. I have sent many sister, many young girls away if they didn't have that cheerful disposition. That is very necessary.
1: I find that a lot of young ladies don't like all the red tape they have to go through in order to enter religious life. Do you think some congregations have too much red tape
2: I don't know all the red tape that they use because I <laughs> I don't believe in that. As I said, uh, we must protect the sacredness of the call. It's a call from God that we have to use human means. That's another thing. But uh, the sacredness of the call must remain between the soul and God alone. And we must not interfere.
1: Do you have a screening process for the girls asking to join your community? If so, what is the process based on? Do you ever find that girls are not meant for your type of life? How do you communicate this fact to them without hurt?
2: As I said, those four things we try, and then we put very much how they deal with the poor, how they speak to them, how they touch them, how they deal, and then with the poor and with each other in the house. These are the two uh, means that we use during the time Come and see. We call that time, come and see. For about six months, they come to the house and they share in everything, prayer and work and food and everything. And then we judge how they deal with the people, how they deal with each other. And if they are all right, then they stay. If they are not all right, they say, well, some of this point you will do much better. Uh, in some other congregation where your gifts of God can be used better. And since you have come with a smiling face, you also go home with a smiling face.
1: Mother, what did the girl see in her room that gave her so much joy? You mentioned this in your talk. You said she didn't know you were behind her when she exclaimed this joy when she saw her room. What was in the room?
2: I think there was just a very, very small bed and a very, very thin mattress and nothing else. And there was a cross made of out of the branch branches eh? a small cross and beside the cross was written Jesus and there was nothing else in the room
1: is your daily hour of adoration an hour in which the sisters pray together aloud or an hour of quiet contemplation or of both uh,
2: we say daily uh, the litanies of the name of Jesus and so we say that that litany Uh, at the beginning or at the end of the adoration but the rest of the that takes about ten minutes the rest of the time is adoration
1: please comment on advantages against disadvantages of small group living two or three in a group as against large groups with perhaps twenty or more in a convent
2: we have to be six uh, but when we begin we begin with four and according to the uh, to the work, maybe we may go up to eight, but as a rule, this is the number. But for your kind of work, where you have schools and things like that, uh, it's good to have a big group of sisters, up to twelve or so on, because we need each other very much, and because somebody is sick and somebody is this and somebody is that, and if there is no good recreation, there will be no uh, not much joy in that community. So. I believe in good, big groups. We cannot afford to have so many because we don't have any work in the house, but um, six, I think, it's uh, the, the smallest group that we should have.
1: If a congregation has moved away from what its original charism was, moved away from true prayer, true poverty, true obedience, true love of Christ, can you give any suggestions that would help the sisters return to the true spirit of Christ?
2: The best is your our own co- constitutions. Take back the constitutions and see what was the beginning of the society. And you get together and pray together and insist on that uh, fidelity to the when the congregation started, what was the aim of the congregation. And then examine together is that aim being fulfilled. And I feel for our own society, I think the day <coughs> we become rich, it will die a natural death. It may die even during my time if we become rich and we forget that complete dedication to Jesus.
1: What does the daily schedule of the sisters consist of? That is work and prayer time. What is the daily schedule?
2: We begin at half past four in the morning. Uh, we have Mass, then we say the office, then we have uh, meditation together. And then uh, after Mass, As we have only two saris, we have to wash one every day. After that, uh, by half past, then we have breakfast. And after that, we, sisters go, some for the lepers, some for the dying, some for the schools that we have for street children, the handicapped, this thing, that thing. They all go out. Everybody has to go out in search of souls, even myself. And then uh, only the first-year novices stay in. They go out the day the sisters stay in for the day of recollection. And they go on Sunday for apostolic work. On Thursday they go to do the, to serve the poor in the homes for the dying and so on. And on Sundays they go for the apostolic school because we have Sunday schools all over the city. And then in the, by quarter past 12, everybody comes home. Half past 12, we have lunch. Uh, after lunch, we have examination of conscience and the office and the stations of the cross. And then um, by, one, by half past one, everybody has to go to bed because from half past four, they have been up the whole time. And um, two o'clock, the novices, um, we all have tea together. And uh, except for breakfast, we don't have recreation, but we have lunch at tea time. And that tea is only to get together, to have a little recreation together. And um, after that, we have spiritual reading for half an hour, again in community, but each one reads their own. By three o'clock, the novices begin their classes of theology, scripture, and so on. And the uh, professed sisters go out again to different parts. We have 15, 59 centers in Calcutta. So all that has to be filled. Eh? Then by, by quarter past six, those who have gone out, they come back. And then we have the adoration from half past six till half past seven. Half past seven, we have dinner. Quarter past eight, uh, we prepare the work for next morning. Half past eight we have recreation. Nine o'clock we have examination of conscience and we prepare the meditation for next morning. And then by 10 o'clock everybody's in bed.
1: If there are so many vocations in the United States, how do we go about getting them? Pictures and ads in papers and magazines do not seem to help.
2: I think you who have schools, I think, the children will be most attracted by what they see in you. And I found out that they look very much how we deal with each other. That has been a wonderful gift of God. We have received many vocations only by seeing the sisters uh, dealing with each other. And also quite a number of vocations we got. The girls were attracted, some of the very rich girls in India were attracted because we never take anything outside, not even water in the houses neither in the rich nor in the poor. Out of respect for the poor, we don't accept anything in the rich houses either. And so uh, the, sister, the girls, they see the sisters in a terrible heat of India, that they uh, they, don't, they don't drink water, they don't accept anything. If they, they say that if they can make that kind of sacrifice, then it must be worthwhile uh, joining them. They look, they look up at it.
1: Tell us a little more about the community you started in
0: Rome.
2: In Rome, we have, uh, we have the novitiate there, and then we have uh, the tertians. That's one year before final vows, the professed sisters who have made first vows for six years. And one year before final vows, they come back again to the novitiate for a third year. And that third year is, is really very much like the first year of novitiate year of prayer, of penance, of deepening of that interior life. And then uh, in St. Gregorius, uh, we have started the Home for the Dying and the the Benedictines gave us their poultry house and we have turned that into a community, into a convent, and we have our postulants and our uh, professed sisters in that place and close by, they take care of the Home for the Dying. But I'm not still... uh, Uh, satisfied. My eyes are still that we have a home for the dying in the Vatican, so you pray for that.
1: (laughs) The last question. Mother, what training program do you have for your postulants and novices?
2: The program was given by the Holy See, I think, uh, in that formation. What we have done, only we have uh, joined it with our constitutions, because our constitutions are really the Gospel and the Vatican uh, Council book. We have taken from there. And I think this is where uh, uh, the sisters are trained to the scriptures and the theology and, and the constitutions as one complete. Oh, they have classes and we have people, novice mistresses, have all more or less done the training. Like in mother Day in India, we have got where the sisters are trained for spiritual life. And then also we have Regina Mundi in Rome and then places like that. And the novice mistresses have all gone through that training, and especially they have had also the training that we give during the tertianship. And uh, so then they have these regular classes, which has been taken from the formation. Is it that formation the uh, uh, syllabus that were made by the Holy See? And I think Father Gambari has the book, uh, which he has explained that formation part very simply and very beautifully. And I would advise you to to use these books because they're very, very clear and very uh, very close and completely uh, unmistakably the mind of the Church.
1: Thank you again, Mother. I think the best way we can thank Mother is with our promise of prayers for her and her work and of course ask her and her sisters to remember all of us in their own prayers and sacrifices. Mother will be with us this afternoon, she's leaving for Minneapolis uh, after the afternoon program. I wish to repeat that Mother I think she won't mind my saying this. Quite invited herself. She wanted to make sure that those coming here to Chicago will be totally convinced that the vocations do exist. The grace is being given. It depends on our own cooperation in attracting vocations to our communities. Shall we see the angelus together? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel made by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit.
0: Thank you for joining us for this podcast. I hope that this podcast has inspired you and that you will pray along with me for an increase in vocations to the priesthood and religious life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, throughout the ages, you have called women and men to pursue lives of perfect charity through the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. We give you thanks for these courageous witnesses of faith and models of inspiration. Their pursuit of holy lives teaches us to make a more perfect offering of ourselves to you. Continue to enrich your church by calling forth sons and daughters who, having found the pearl of great price, treasure the kingdom of heaven above all things. Amen. Thank you and God bless.